people don't realize that having that bank loyalty will cost you a lot of money. The maximum repayment you can, additional repayment you can do into loan, it depends from lender to lender, is between 10 to 20K. If you have more than 20K, you're not saving on any interest. If you are thinking about making those decisions, having access to that money and speaking to the mortgage broker and picking, putting it up in an offset account is still a wonderful strategy, right? A lot of people made that mistake. I think people don't use offset accounts to their fullest advantage. Hello and welcome to Help Me Buy Property Podcast. Today, our topic is a and one. We are going to talk about refinancing mistakes that people make all the time. We are going to talk about what does refinance really means? Why do people really refinance? What is refinance or debt recycling and how does that really work in principle? And we are going to also talk about the, the key, key mistakes that people make in relation to refinances around breaking loans, cross-collateralization, not refinancing quick enough, offset accounts, um, refinancing for the wrong reasons, loan fixations, how much do you fix your loans? And we are going to also talk about the type of properties in relation to the refinances. Thank you for listening to us. Stay tuned till the very end to get the golden nuggets and I will see you inside. Hello and welcome to Help Me Buy a Property Podcast. Today we are going to talk about refinancing mistakes that people make. Now, before I get into the topic, you can see that we are coming in live from our new podcast setup. And I have my wonderful friend and a guest, Amol Puntale. Amol, am I saying your name right? From Ask Financials. How are you today, Amol? I'm good, Moz. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am amazing. Thank you for coming here and being part of the show. Pleasure. Let's start off from your short description. Who is Amol? So, I'm an experienced mortgage broker. I'm a property developer. I'm a property investor. I've got a portfolio and properties across Australia. So I help my clients to grow their portfolio, structure their loans properly so that you don't hit your serviceability and um, be a part of that team, which helps them to grow their portfolio. Amazing. Amazing. And and you do crypto as well. You know, that's what I've heard. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm heavily into crypto and share trading as well. That's amazing. That's awesome. Let's get into the topic. So this topic is definitely close to my heart. I hear this all the time, a lot of mistakes that people make, especially during refinancing. So before we talk about mistakes, let's, for the user's perspective, try to understand what is refinance? How does it work? So basically, see, refinancing is a strategy where you are replacing your existing mortgage with a new mortgage. So there are different ways or different strategies that people use to refinance and there are different rationals behind why we are refinancing our home loans. So we'll deep dive into this and we'll discuss about what what are the main reasons why people refinance, what are the main mistakes that they do, what how you can avoid them. We'll we'll deep dive into that. Sure. And how does it work from a bank's perspective? Like, you know, is it as simple as just going to the bank and say, hey bank, give me the money? It's a fresh new application. So you have to submit. It's like going to the bank and saying that I need this loan. They will assess the application based on your total income, total liabilities. If you're able to service the loan, they'll give you. Now, lenders have come up with something called uh, streamlined refinance. So usually lenders add a buffer of 3.53% depending on the lender. So if the market rate is, say, for example, 6%, they will assess the application based on 9% or 9.5%. Now, due to the recent rate rises, which we had like 13, 14 rate rises in the last uh, year or so, 
lot of people were struggling to refinance because they had exhausted their serviceability. So lenders have come up with something called streamlined refinance where the buffer is just 1%. Not each and every lender does it. There are specific lenders, but automatically you are freed up your borrowing capacity by 2.5%. You're able to refinance. Now, there are some terms and conditions associated with this refinance, but at least people are able to refinance. They're able to get a better rate than what they were on. Definitely. And what are some of the key reasons people would refinance or look at to refinancing you know, their home loans or, you know, their investment properties? See, the first and foremost is lowering their interest rates. So I always tell the clients, first, let's renegotiate with your existing lender because when you refinance, there's a cost associated with refinancing. So there's an um, discharge of mortgage, re-registration of mortgage, title search fee, which people don't consider that. Now, earlier, a lot of lenders used to offer the cash back and this particular cost used to be covered by the cashback. But as you know now, 90% of the lenders have stopped the cashback. So important is that when you refinance, we are looking for the best rate. So let's renegotiate with the existing lender. But if the existing lenders is not able to um, give us that good rate, then we will look for the lenders who can give us a better rate. Then second is changing the loan terms. So especially when you are building your portfolio, a lot of people put uh, investment loans on interest only. It makes sense to put it on interest only. When that two-year terms finishes on interest only, it goes on BNI. They want to put it back on interest only. So what we do is we do a debt recast and we put back it on 30-year term. So automatically that frees up your serviceability. So that's another reason to refinance. Third is accessing the equity. So it's important that when you want to build a portfolio, you're not putting your hard cash. You can put that in an offset account. But what we can do is you can access the equity from one of the properties to fund your next purchase. So while refinancing, we can potentially access that equity, structure that as an investment loan and um, buy your next uh, investment property. Fourth one is debt consolidation. I'll tell you, I had a client where he was paying close to 12% on car finance and he wanted to buy an investment property as well. So car finance is usually five-year, seven-year term with a high repayment. That kills your borrowing capacity. Mm. So when you're accessing that equity potential, you can pay off your a car loan with a lower interest rate. That'll help you with your serviceability and you can consolidate the debt as well. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, how you know, bad these car loans are to your serviceabilities and you know, consolidating them and, you know, getting a lower rate on, on these loans, you know, not only helps you from a cash flow perspective, but also frees up that borrowing capacity to basically go back in and buy a much more quality asset. Yep. Same goes with your credit cards. Having So every $1,000 of your credit card, you are killing your serviceability by close to five to $6,000. Yeah. So I had a client who had almost 50000 worth of credit card and he hardly used like three or $4,000 every month. So we, you can either reduce it or, you know, you don't need it. So biggest borrowing capacity killers are your car loans, personal loans, credit cards. So especially if you're looking to build your portfolio, try to get rid of this bad dates. Definitely. One most important thing that I want to, you know, call out here also is in relation to the interest rates. And so a lot of people naturally think that, you know, if I've bought a house, you know, two years ago, even though that there is equity in there and, you know, they might not want to, you know, get access to equity. Why would the bank give me a cheaper rate, right? You know, naturally people think that, oh, you know, the, if the interest rate is X, why would the bank give me a lower rate than what the market is going to give, you know, and, and people fall into this sort of self-serving biases of, oh, I'm not going to get a better rate, right? The most important thing is that if the value of your property goes up, 
and there is a lot of equity now in the property, it's in the bank's interest because you are now a quality client from their perspective. And so if the value of the property goes up and you know your LVR you know drops from say 80% or 90% to say 70%, the bank would automatically drop the rate because they don't want you going anywhere else because now this is safe bet for them, right? So a lot of people don't understand those sort of dilemmas as to why negotiation is an important thing. There's another reason why people refinance, especially when people have bought the property at 88%, anything above 80%, you're going to pay extra interest rate. So when you there is an equity in the property, people usually refinance to the lender, giving a better rate. So of course, we'll try to see if the existing lender can give us that better rate. If not, then you can refinance. Your LVR will be below 80%. There won't be any LMI. And plus, you're getting a better rate, potentially a cashback too. Definitely, definitely. How and so we've talked about debt recasting or debt recycling. Let's dive a bit into that, you know, before we start talking about the mistakes. What does that mean? I know a lot of people ask that question. So debt recast, so your repayment is calculated based on the remaining term of the loan. So if your remaining term is say twenty five years and your ex- outstanding amount is say six hundred thousand, your repayment goes up. When we are doing the debt recast, debt recast is basically we are moving that loan back to 30-year term. So your repayment goes down and your serviceability increases automatically. So especially, so there are pros and cons for over here. So we are looking at paying an extra addition because we are basically looking at 30-year term again. So then you'll be paying an extra interest. But if it's an investment property, you want to leverage it as much as you can and build your portfolio. So from the serviceability point of view, it makes sense. Investment property is a tax deductible, so you can take that. Um, it again depends on your investment journey. If you are in a, a you know accumulation phase, this strategy works amazing. But if you are into you know pay down debt, maybe you're after over sixty years old and you want to pay off your debt, then potentially you can concentrate more on paying it off. Definitely, definitely. And look, I mean, typically debt recycling is important if you are in the wealth creation journey, right? Because you want that money that you're going to get from the bank at say five, six, seven percent interest, and if you can generate a cash and cash return of fifteen, twenty, thirty percent on it, then it's a no-brainer, right? And that's how typically the wealth is being created. What you want to do is you want to get access to that debt, keep it tax deductible, reinvest that, and get a better cash and cash return so that you can multiply that wealth. Let's get into the mistakes, and this is the fun part, right? Let's kick off with the first mistake or the first most important mistake that you feel people make when it comes to refinancing. I'll tell you an example. I had a client who had refinanced almost four times a year. People don't realize that it impacts your credit score. So any inquiry, it goes on your credit profile, it sits for seven years. So you're, if you're looking to build a portfolio, if you're looking for a long-term one, just beware of, just for the few cashbacks, um, that strategy is not really viable. You have to look at the long-term wave. So I had a client who had 23 inquiries in one year. So he was the one who used to take all the credit card offers and close it off, take new credit card, close it off, take a loan refinance. And when we applied, when his early broker applied for the loan, it got auto declined. So we had to go to a lender, don't look at the credit score and all. So then again, you're delimiting your options over there. So it's important to have, make sure that your credit score is really nice. So that's one of the mistakes that people do. Second is bank loyalty. So what people do is that I'm with this bank. I've seen people staying with the same lender, paying a higher interest rate. 
and not changing. So I'd say that every single year you have to see, and that's what I do with my clients is that we do annual reviews and see if the client is on the best rates. If not, then we can refinance. But people don't realize that having that bank loyalty will cost you a lot of money. Ultimately, if you if you talk about bank loyalty, right, I think people are not so much loyal to the bank, right? It's more about the paperwork that comes with it, right? A lot of the times, you know, and I know that, you know, I used to be loyal to NAB for almost 14 years, right? Before I divorced them in 2016. And uh, it wasn't so much the loyalty with the bank because you know that, you know, they are milking you out of, you know, all of the assets that you're holding. What you're scared of is this, you know, constant sort of, oh, I need to provide this and this and that or all, all of this paperwork. And so naturally what you think is that if I'm going to stick with the same bank, they have all, all of that information and make their life easier. What you don't realize is that the longer you stay with one bank, the more information they have on you, which basically means that they control your life a lot more. To that extent that, you know, at one given point in time, probably NAB knew, you know, how many times do I shit during the day? You know, to that extent, like they knew exactly how much I was spending, where I was spending. And so there was nothing under the radar, you know, about this typical bank. Now, of course, I'm not saying that, you know, you need to hide stuff from the bank or you need to lie on the applications. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that it provides you a much better advantage if you are going to go with competing banks, right? So 2016, I went from a single dominated bank to now probably like eight different banks that I've loans with, right? And so ultimately what, you know, people need to realize or the viewers need to realize is that these days the application for the broking side of things and the mortgage brokers have made the application process so easy that you don't have to worry about any of this. You know, everything is online. You know, there is, you know, bankstatements.com.au. You just jump in and type the details and they'll take away your bank statements. Gone are those days where you have to download PDFs and send it across. And so the process is a lot more streamlined right now. And so typically I do agree that, you know, bank loyalties is not to be surfaced, you know, at all, you know, when it comes to refinancing. Another mistake that um, commonly I've seen a lot of people do is uh, when they refinance two or three properties, they cross-collateralize. So bank love that. Yes. And it'll, it's it's not a viable strategy. So we want to make sure that the, all, the, all the properties have separate and not cross-collateralized. So that's one of the mistakes that a lot of people do. Why do you think banks love it? And of course, I know this, but you know, it's for the viewers. Why do you think that the banks want to cross-collateralize the properties? It's a security for them. It's an additional security. And especially when you want to move out one particular property, it's a hassle as well. So banks want to hold the client. They want to hold all these three, four properties and they love that. But having that individual separate uh, loans will really help you. And if you want to move out of that particular bank, it's easier as well. Correct. And I think banks play a really interesting game. I shouldn't say dirty, but a very interesting game here when it comes to cross-collateralizing, right? They'll come to you and say, hey, you don't need to pay us anything. There is no refinance cost. We'll give you all the money. You know, you don't have to pay any deposit. We'll just use this property to cross it against your new investment property. And people think that, oh, gee, that's really good. Well, typically, that's exactly what you're doing when you are, you know, setting up and refinancing and then getting the loan. Basically, that's the same process. It's just a broken down process into two with maybe two different banks. And, you you know, you can leverage better rates, better relationships, better everything. In relation to the breaking the loans, you know, let's talk a bit about that. You know, a lot of people, you know, when they are 
moving away from, you know, refinancing or doing refinances and moving into various different, you know, various different banks. Yes, you know, the 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 co- the cashback really helps them. But what happens to people who are on fixed loans? You know, have you seen some of those mistakes that people make on breaking these fixed loans when they're refinancing? Yes. So, see, it makes sense if you're going from, um, you know, high rate to a lower rate. But uh, if you're going from lower rate to maybe high rate, it really doesn't make sense. Especially during the like, COVID period, there were a lot of people who were breaking that fixed period because they wanted that lower term. So bank will charge you uh, extra amount to break that cost. So you have to take that into calculation. And just because lender, new lender is offering you a better rate doesn't mean that you'll be profitable. You have to calculate that because what the exit cost or the break cost is going to be versus what the amount that you're going to save, you have to do that calculation and then only decide whether it's really worth fixing that loan and breaking that cost. Um, and there is an opportunity cost together with this, right? So the longer you stay on the fixed term loan, the more problematic it becomes for you to enter into the market, for example. And so you have to assume and understand those scenarios as well as to, okay, if I have six months of, you know, fixed remaining and there is a cost of say a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, should I just take it on the chin and move in and buy another property? Because then you might miss out on a market or you might miss out on this growth cycle that is coming through that you are seeing. So, you know, there's a lot of these things that needs to be considered as well. One question I do have though is, you know, when we were talking about refinancing quite aggressively you know a lot of people do that then you know when they're building up their property portfolios or you know they're refinancing for cashbacks or refinancing for points you know various different credit inquiries what about the flip side not refinancing quick enough that's again um it's costing them a lot of money so it's important to have um, just like your annual health check you need to have your mortgage health check <laughs> Yeah, so you need to make sure that you are, because you are making the banks rich, not yourself. So every dollar counts. It's not only your mortgage, be it your insurance, your car insurance, be it your utility bills, everything on uh, at least six months to one, uh, on 12 months, you have to call these providers and make sure that you're getting the best rates. Yeah, yeah. And when I thought, think about this, and you know, when I'm talking about this as part of my strategies with the clients, I always say to people that don't be reactive when you're talking about refinancing, right? A lot of people missed out on the opportunity to refinance their loans because the rate moved and they lost on their serviceabilities typically. I still remember this one client who came to me last December and he had a serviceability of about $1.1, million. And six months down the track, I think he could only get about $400,000, you know, serviceability. That's how quickly his serviceability moved. And so... You know, those are the impacts of them not refinancing at the right time. And so I completely agree. I think six months is a good periodicity of you going out there checking as to, okay, how much is serviceability available to you? What sort of equity is available to you for you to redraw? And just put it in an offset account, right? You don't have to use it. You know, get that access to that money and put it in an offset account. The biggest killer I've seen or biggest enemy of a investor is procrastination. Same goes when you are purchasing a property and if you're procrastinating, should I buy this, should I not buy this? The market has moved and you lose out on that opportunity. Correct. And so typically, even if you are thinking about making those decisions, having access to that money and speaking to the mortgage broker and picking, putting it up in an offset account is still a wonderful strategy, right? A lot of people made that mistake. I think people don't use offset accounts to their fullest advantage. You know, 
a lot of the times they naturally think that, oh, offset account is just a saving account where I'm going to park my salaries, right? Whereas that's not the really the truest use of offset accounts. Offset accounts are typically used for refinancing all of this money and reducing your own principal place debt, right? So that's the, the beauty of using the offset accounts and combining and leveraging the offset accounts to its truest potential. Fixing the whole loans. Have you, have you seen that where, you know, people would refinance and just because they are getting a better rate, I see a lot of these stories where, you know, when the rates were at 2% or, you know, two and a half percent, you know, people just brought the whole loan in and fixed the whole thing out. And now they have a lot of equity, but they can't refinance typically because they're locked in for four years. So, yes, uh, part, it's truly, it's true. So when you fix it, of course, you, you can't move the loan, but still you are able to access the equity. You can do a top up and you can structure that particular equity portion as investment debt if you want to. I've seen a lot of people that basically see when you're fixed, you can't use offset. There's no offset link to it. Yeah. And the maximum repayment you can, additional repayment you can do into loan, it depends from lender to lender, is between 10 to 20K. If you have more than 20K, you're not saving on any interest. So it's always better that you have a little portion of offset, variable loan is linked to an offset, and then you can pour, uh, you know, fix the remaining portion. Yes, yes. And I think that's a very good point, right? I think one of the reasons that, you know, you should use a portion of your amount as variable is that, you know, if you are planning to pay off your debt faster, then you use the variable portion to use that to pay as much as you want rather than using those caps as well. What other refinance mistakes? What about refinancing for personal reasons? Going for a holiday, buying an expensive car. <laughs> I, for investors, it's a big no, I would say, because ultimately you are going to pay interest and it's going to reduce your borrowing capacity. So not a really viable strategy, I would say. Um, but I've seen people that they want to buy furniture, they want to go for expensive holidays. So not not a, not a great way to use that. Typically, banks love it, right? And the way the banks sell this is is a very easy sell. And I understand because I've fallen prey to this as well. I'm not going to lie, right? You know, the easiest part that the bank is playing is that, hey, you can't afford this, okay? If you're going to go out and get this money from GE money, they're going to charge you 7% or 8%. How about you refinance? and get it at 3% or 4% or 5%, right? Basically, that's the, the card that they're pl playing. What an investor needs to understand is they need to take a step back and say, hey, can I actually afford this or not? Because if you can't afford it, you shouldn't be buying this in the first place, right? Forget the offset, forget, you know, where this cash is coming from. T typically, you know, all of these personal choices that you're making, you know, should be the, the choices that you're making to improve your lifestyle. And in some instances, it's okay. You know, uh, I have a lot of clients who are, say, business owners, right? And so every time they are planning to upgrade a car, I'll always say to them, look, you know, park it as a business, right? You know, get a loan against the business name. Why do you want to buy the car in your own personal name? Like it doesn't do you any justice at all anyway. You know? And see, it, it all comes down to good debt and bad debts. Bad debts are the ones where we are purchasing something for our personal reasons. Good debts are ones which is tax deductible. So if it's going to be for your investment purpose where you are able to claim all the tax deductions, go for it. But if it's for your personal reasons, stay away from it. Yes, yes. Or use the cash basically, right? To, you know, service some of these things. What other things can we bring into this topic of refinancing mistakes that people make? Structure. So when you are refinancing, I've seen a lot of brokers, they'll just top up from their owner occupiers 
So if we don't structure it properly, you can't avail the tax benefits. So structure is one of the very important things. Yes, yes. And that's very true. I think a lot of people make that mistake of, you know, using that money to buy an investment property, but because of that type of way of doing it rather than setting it up as a separate loan, what tends to happen is that that loan does not become tax deductible. And so it's it's a very important, you know, thing to consider when you're refinancing as to how does this refinance structure works. And and I always say this to people, look, I mean, your cash or your money or physical money or digital money these days is the most important one, right? And so you need to treat it in a very scarce manner. The debt is easy to get and bank would always give you brand new debt at any given point in time. It's just a matter of how do you structure yourself up, right? And so it's important that, you know, the money that you refinance, you want to use it as slow and as small as possible and get access to as much data as possible. While, of course, you know, making the decisions that, you know, you're still making, you know, the overall your numbers make sense and it's an evidence-based decisions. Understanding that the lower amount of cash you put in towards the investment, it would always improve your cash and cash returns. And a lot of people don't think about this. And so one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen on the refinance side of things is where I'll talk about this particular client where they went out and refinanced their house and they had close to about $600,000 in equity and their broker told them that, hey, I'll get you this money. And so they got them $600,000 and they just went in and buy a property with $600,000. And I was like, wait, why did you do that? that? That just doesn't make any sense. Right? Why didn't you use the debt against it? Because this 600000 could be a deposit to 10 other properties or at least five other properties, right? And so I had a very interesting conversation with that broker and, uh, and I'm not going to call her name, but I said to her, why are you not getting her, uh, why are you not getting him more debt? And this is what she said. She's like, oh, but he can't service it. And I was like, how does, it, how does that make sense? Like, why can't he not service it? Have you considered the income that is going to coming through with him acquiring this new property, which is sitting at 6% yield. And then it was a light bulb moment. She's like, oh, yes, I should have thought about this. But now that it's done and he has the money, you know, let him buy this property and they can come back and refund it. Do you see these mistakes that people make all the time? Just convenience? Yes. So it's all, all about the education part. So you have to educate the client about how it's going to impact, what are the pros and cons of going through it. Yes, yes. Any um, last but not the least is just don't refinance for the sake of interest rates. So your strategy should align. So if you're looking to grow your portfolio and if you are kind of on a verge of exhausting your serviceability, potentially you might have to go to tier two, tier three lenders. So refinancing just for the sake of interest rates may or may not be viable when it comes to the overall portfolio strategy. Definitely. And to add to that, you know, don't be scared of refinancing even if the interest rate is slightly higher, right? Because that's the cost of you, you know, creating wealth, right? Um, I've seen people saying, oh, if I refinance this, I'm paying in half a percent interest. And I'm like, well, that's nothing, right? You know, because you're getting access to $200,000, paying that half a percent is okay because you're going to use that to create a better cash and cash return for yourself and more wealth. And so I think looking at the longitudinal view of the world and understanding this is how the wealth creation works, right? Um, you know, it's, it's primarily the key of, you know, all of these discussions. Finally, the last 
question of all, how have you used it to your advantage? As I said, I differentiate between the good debts and bad debts. Anything which is going to kill my borrowing capacity, I paid by cash. So I paid my, I've got two cars. One is in the business name, one is uh, personal. I've paid it off. No credit cards. I've got a business credit card, which is MX charge card, which has no limits. So bank will take only $1 limit on that. Uh, no personal loans. Um, you want to make sure that um, all these bad dates, which is going to kill your borrowing capacity, try to get rid of it. You can use this good dates to leverage and build your portfolio. But at the same time, having that right structure is also very important. And ultimately, you know, proactively thinking about some of these things, you know, people make decisions in the spur of time. They don't think this through, right? They don't think about, oh, how is this credit card going to impact me? For example, you know, I always keep my profile very clean and clear, you know, so that, you know, my uh, serviceability is always there. And any of these, you know, stuff around credit cards, I would always ask my wife's profile to come in the forward and basically do that. And so typically that's what it, exactly what it is. I think with as business owners, you get a lot of opportunities, you know, to park some of these debts and, you know, make this, all those conscious decisions as to, okay, where should I acquire this? Where should I put this? How should I go about thinking this through? And so speaking to your account and speaking to a mortgage broker makes a lot more sense in bringing all of this together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to plan a one year in ahead what you want to do for this year and start positioning yourself accordingly. Definitely. Thank you for coming in today, Amul. It was lovely to have you. It was a great discussion. Thank you for the users for listening to us. And if you have any questions, comments, uh, feel free to reach out to Amul. Amul, do you want to give a quick shout out as to where can the users reach out to you? So you can um, send me an email on amul at askfinancials.com.au. Visit my website, askfinancials.com.au or ask me on 0433944055. Thank you very much. Stay safe, keep smiling, keep investing. This is Moss and Amol checking out. Adios. Thank you.